0: My portion, I'm going to do uh, <clears throat> something on family, and it's not holistic about family, but I, I, I do want to come back to the foundation. So as we're looking at reformation and revival, as, as we, we sense and see that revival on the earth um, is impossible without a reformed church, meaning returning to the original purpose of the church of Jesus Christ, returning to the original call of the church, which is the Great Commission, That through the church, Jesus would reach and save the world. That we would make disciples of nations, teaching them, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught us. And so that is, I don't know if you ever asked the question, what does it mean to disciple a nation? Um, we, we, We talk about people, which that's true. But what does it mean to teach nations what Jesus taught us? I don't know if you ever thought about that. And so in order to do that and accomplish that, it's, we need to have a reformation of family. We need to come back to God's design for family. And the reason why I say that is that God designed family with a specific purpose. That it's about this, this, this um, which I'm going to look at in just a moment. It's about this covenant of God that he created within family to use family to actually reach the world around them. And so I'm going to preface it with this, that yes, reformation of family is about, it's about family, but it's about the long game when it comes to the Great Commission. Now, the reason why I believe, and this is just my thoughts, the reason why I believe that the church hasn't been totally effective in reaching the nations is that every generation thinks they're the generation that's going to usher in the return of Christ, Meaning, we're not thinking about one, two, three, four, five generations. We're thinking about my generation. Every generation wants to be the hero of the return of Christ. And we need to understand the kingdom of God is a, is a kingdom that, that looks, to the, looks to the future, that the kingdom of God is a family that builds systematically upon the foundation of the teachings of Christ and creates disciples through family. I'm talking about when we get when we, when we have a family and I'll talk about the establishment of the family, it's not about us fulfilling our need to be parents it's not about us fulfilling our our desire to 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 have children and though that's great it's about us understanding that these children that god gives us as family are the ones who are going to have children who are going to teach their children about christ who are going to impress the gospel upon their life and as they go into the world they're going to bring glory to christ in all the areas of the world uh, applying the word of god thus Teaching the nations what Jesus has taught us, and it 's not about positioning ourselves within power or within influence, and then or sneakily getting in somewhere of whether it could be education or politics or um, finance, whatever it may be, it's about understanding Jesus owns it all already. The, the body of Christ and families are to apply God's word into those areas. So in the area of family, because I want to get to it, I just went a little rant there. It's important for us to acknowledge that family, that the definition of family has been influenced by a worldly culture controlled by the enemy whose desire is to destroy God's design and function for family. We need to understand that the family, God's designed for family, is not about meeting our needs as parents and then hopefully our children can have children. It's about we're playing the long game of the kingdom of God. That to be a good spiritual father or a father leaves an inheritance for its children's children. So we raise our children thinking about our great-great-grandchildren. So, the enemy, though, has brought confusion into the family by deceiving believers regarding the biblical family. We live in a country in which leaders, certain leaders, have exalted themselves to a place of God, and they have humanistically, legally, within their humanistic um, framework, redefined what marriage and family is. And it's the church's job to be the ones to define it because we don't get our marching orders from the world. We get it from the Word of God. So if we're called to make disciples of nations, look around. Are we doing a good job at defining what family is and teaching the world what family really is? So I pastor a church in Denver, Colorado. We've been there for 60-something years as a church We have historically year after year after year after year seen our community spiritually degrade. While the church grew at its peak of 4,000 people, the community around us died in their depravity and it continued to get worse. So I looked around and I stood on a Sunday morning and I I said, so our church has been here for 60 something years. And we've watched this, and many people who've been there for many, many years, we've watched our community, our educational system be, be seduced into this weird sexual agenda of that you can be a cat and pee in a litter box. And, and we, we've sat around as a church, 4,000 people, and our community year after year has degraded spiritually. That doesn't sound like the Great Commission to me. And so I I simply humbly said, hey, hey, just real quick. What we're doing isn't working. That's hard to hear. If local churches are called to transform local communities. And to put a stake in the ground for the kingdom of God. And to say, this belongs to Jesus. Jesus. And we're to raise families that are producing godly men and women and godly parents and godly children who produce godly families and godly children who produce more. And if it's a layered approach, a church of 4,000 people over 60 years should change the community. But it went the opposite way. We saw this. We've seen it in Europe. We see it in America. So... So while our churches, though we're not seeing growth now, but while our churches are growing, our communities are swallowing the putrid filth of culture, and the church is high-fiving each other and saying, hey, didn't we have so many people here on Sunday? Something's disconnected, and I believe it comes back to the family. And so we live in in a nation... Where leaders have exalted themselves to the place of God and redefined what marriage is. It's been taught and indoctrinated all the way down to our children. And the demonic teaching has brought confusion and undone families. Now don't think for a minute, for a second, that that wasn't on purpose by the enemy. And what we find today is that man has forgotten who he is. And that we have a creator and king. And in man's arrogance and in man's pride, he has insisted that everyone else forget with him about who he is. And I think if all of us, all of us could just just snap out of it, wake up from our slumber and be honest, the putrid smell of the results of the breakdown of a biblical family has permeated every area of our society and our life. Every area. But it's not hopeless. It's not hopeless. When I do a wedding's, I read Ephesians five as as many of you do, and almost every time I read the word "submit," the church giggles like, "Boy, that's outdated." I mean, you're laughing because you're like, "Yeah, I know." You see it too, and but when I I they they're like they giggle. So think about this. That is the church of Jesus Christ mockingly giggling at submitting to Christ. It's a manifestation of what they really believe. But we are in a day, and I just want to say we're not hopeless. There's a path forward to restoration. There's a path forward for generations to come. It is an old path. It's not a sexy path. It's not a it's not a get your name in lights path. But this is an old path that needs to be cleared. It needs to be rediscovered. It needs to be admired again. And that's the biblical family. I would say most Christians today don't have a biblical understanding of family. Most think, well, we we have a but we have to have a place to go at the end of the day. And, you know, I got to have a friend and I got to have somebody to retire with. And, you know, I, I, you know we got to have kids, I guess. And at the end of the day, we got to lay in a bed. So I guess family is the place that we do that. But what many people don't grasp is what makes a family a family is a covenant that's been created by God. It's, it's not, it's not a, a dwelling place, it's not a group of people. And God is the God of all covenants. And since God's the God of all covenants and marriage defined by scripture is a covenant made by God, he's the one that determines the terms and the structures of a covenant that he created. God makes covenants with his people and his, his people respond in faith to him in that covenant. And it's the same in the case of family. It's a covenant. God created the covenant of marriage which in turn creates a family. God is the one who brought Eve to Adam to create a family through marriage, and God is the one who defines it and establishes it. We see it. It goes back to the garden. But the covenant of marriage was created by God for the purpose of God to accomplish the will of God through the family. God loves family. I hope you know that. God loves family. Why did he create Adam and Eve? Because he loves family. Because he loves to do things with his his creation. He loves to work through them. He likes to use us to accomplish his will and his purpose. But God created family to accomplish his will on the earth, and anything outside of one man and one woman united in the covenant of marriage is not marriage. It's not marriage. You can call a same-sex couple married, but they're not married. So what I want to do, I I want to bring us back to what marriage is. Because we'll say, hey, that man and that man, they're married. No, they're not. Who defines marriage? God does. But the church has said, the state, the feds. God says, I do. And church you should say what I say. You should you should pull back to the place of purity of the word, purity of God's design, purity of who he is. Yeah, but Jason, that's going to be tough. We're going to face some opposition. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's very true. And and we do got to push back and and gain some ground back on the on the purposes of God, and it's going to it's going to cost us. But we're the only ones who are called to Teach the nations what Jesus taught us. We're it, guys. We're it. Most of us are saying, yeah, but let's just wait because Jesus will come back. Okay, what if he didn't come back for 500 years? What if he didn't come back for 700 years? You go, oh, well, I never really thought about that. We must think differently about the church and for the world system to declare something as a marriage that God does not declare as a marriage it's like the sound of a, of a one handed hand clap just nothing it holds nothing just like a man can act and act like and declare that he's a woman, but he'll never be a woman because God defines design and he designs sex and gender. And I know this is preaching to the choir. But part of this is, is maybe just just God speaking to us and declaring. It's time to reform. It's time to take some risks. And I know there are all types of teaching about this, but because this is front and center in, in the city that I, I pastor, I, I tell our people, listen, if Johnny, you know Johnny as a he, and he says, can you call me a she, you say, sorry, Johnny, you're he. And people, you can't, that's not very loving. You can't do that. I get people, Jason, do, do I go to my, my grandson's same-sex marriage to, to their wedding. I mean, I, I don't want to ostracize. I don't want to create distance. I don't want to always be there. So if they need something, I can speak into their life. And if I don't go, the, I'll go, okay, what's your attendance at the, at the same-sex marriage? What, what is that saying? And then I ask them this, what is a marriage? Well, that's it's the wedding. Yeah, okay. This is the problem. We don't understand the covenant of marriage. i, I got to keep moving. So it's so important to understand God's design and articulated pers- purpose. It's, it's his, his parameters, how he defines covenant, is not to restrain humanity, but to set us free and give us guidelines to prosper and live fulfilling lives that bring glory to him through our families for generations. Genesis, Genesis one twenty seven: God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see here, that it, 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 and actually I want, you, I want you to think about the long game for a second. What we've had as the enemy in our school system teaching evolution, because we have done. we were created. God defines it, he says it in scripture, humanity did not evolve, we were created. But if you teach, you have evolved. Listen, I've talked with Christians says it doesn't matter, you know, if you've evolved, if you believe in evolution, if you believe in God's creation, literal six-day creation, it doesn't matter. What matters is you have a creator, and that sounds clever and beautiful, but the issue is if you have been taught you can evolve from nothing into something from a male to a female, from a female to a, to a dolphin to a wolf, to then all of a sudden it's just natural evolutionary process that I it can evolve into a woman. And that woman can evolve into a cat. And that cat can evolve into whatever the evolutionary process is. They're just, they're just in front of it. They're ahead of the curve a little bit on evolution. This is the confusion that has come into the church instead of the church saying, Listen, evolution is a joke. God created us and created us with purpose. You, you, we have to be reformed and come back. God created men and women as sexual beings. Gender was, a, was designed as a part of God's glorious plan. Jesus affirmed biblical marriage when some of the teachers of God's word had twisted and created loopholes for divorce and they were, they, they were ridiculous things and how they could divorce their wives. But in that discussion, Jesus corrects their wrong thinking and pride and sinfulness and says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now listen, there are pastors today who say, you know, God really doesn't define. You know, or Jesus never really speaks about marriage in, in his ministry New Testament and, you know, it's under grace. I'm sorry, he does. Being made... Th- The male, he made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So God was not only joining Adam and Eve, he's joined every married couple together, male and female since that time, since that moment. You can also go further and say then, man does not have the authority to override God and join something together that God refuses to do so. It's God who joins. And so I just believe that God wants to recover the incredible joy and significance of marriage and family and the purpose of family and bring glory to himself through the church for generations to come. It's a long path. And it's, we must be courageous in beginning to clear out the pathway of, of a new season, I believe God's taking the earth into. But most, most believers articulate the understanding of marriage and family in a rational way. And so that marriage is proved by a certificate. Parental rights are exercised by proof of adoption or a blood test. And and Christians view marriage and family through merely a rational filter of purpose and function just like non-Christians. Just like non-Christians. So we need a renewed understanding of marriage and family in a deeper sense. And for, for us to fully understand the covenant of marriage which forms the family. I want to read to you an illustration uh, regarding what a mere rational explanation of marriage and family, why, excuse me, I want to read you an illustration why a rational definition of marriage and family is not sufficient. So in the case for Christian family, the author, Jared Longshore, he writes this illustration. A Christian and a rationalist walk into a bar. That just starts off good, doesn't it? You're like, whoa, okay. And as they sit, they observe that there is a blue chair besides them both. And the men agree on the point that it's blue, but for two very different reasons. The Christian man says it's blue because God has made it so. And it's God who sustains it and gave man the knowledge to create it. Then the rational man chuckles at the religious fervor of his friend and says, the chair is blue. And it's self-evident that the chair is blue. I do not need all this mumbo-jumbo about God's creation, providence, and His kindness in order to acknowledge the simple fact that this most certainly is a chair and it's blue. This is the situation in which Americans have found themselves for some time. This is how it is between Christians and those who have some common sense. And we've found that to be true, that if you're a Christian, you can have a conversation with someone that has some common sense, so there's, you're like, okay, so we, that's where we've been. And so everything was quite peaceful in the bar, but eventually postmodern man walks into the bar and joins the conversation. He tells the two friends that they need to lighten up on the object in question. It may be a blue chair to them, but it might be a yellow sofa to someone else. And to another, it might even be a green futon. Who's to say to each their own? So the Christian man and rational man both know that postmodern man is out to lunch, but they've decided to put up with him. It seemed fine enough to put up with him because he's not holding a gun to anybody's head. He was just very, very strange, and at the end of the day, he's crazy. Though, to in, though the intellectual unity is falling apart in this friendly establishment. No one is throwing chairs or breaking beer bottles just yet. This is where we've been for far too long as a society and as a church. There's a tolerance. But a new development is upon us. A fourth man has walked into the bar and goes by the name Pagan Man. As he entered, old western shootout music plays. The guy behind the bar ducks and the ladies scatter. He looks at the three men in the bar and says... You all are wrong. That object, that which you were calling a blue chair, is in fact a pink elephant. And in the refusal to acknowledge it to be a pink elephant, you will be taken off to the gulag. Now, the postmodern man who's been smoking walkie weed this whole time stands up and says, Hey, lighten up, bro. But then is swiftly backhanded in the mouth by pagan man. And he falls to the ground mumbling something about it's going to be okay because there's somebody somewhere that thinks that slap was actually an act of love. (laughs) Rational man observing the present threat begins to inch a little closer and closer to Christian man. He's starting to think he needs to hang his observations on something more than his human reason. Christian man is the only stable citizen in the bar who will stand up to the pagan who insists that we all now call down up the sun, the moon, and Bruce Jenner, a mother. God did not call us to live by reason alone. With reason alone, we cannot survive in peacetime, and we especially cannot survive when the false gods show up. The theologian G.K. Chesterton says, Tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. Tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. And for most Christians, we're far too much, honestly, like the rational man. Which... The rational man in the bar, he disconnects his life and his family. With he it just, it's earth only. It's just everything is anchored to the earth. We're much, the Christian family is much like this rational man. We disconnect our lives, our families, our vocation, our children, our the purpose of our home and our family with our Lord and our Savior and our King, Jesus Christ. We, we come and we meet with God on a Sunday, then we go out and we, we just live rational lives. And it's, it's, it's been okay until it's not. But the pagan man, he's connected to something. He's connected to the wrong side of spiritual life, which is the enemy of God, Satan, who despises all things that God created, which includes family. Well, Christians must understand ignoring this reality has cost us deeply. We must understand that to reform family... We must get back that God is the creator. That the creation of family is not natural. It's the creation of God. It's a divine creation. And why the dismantling of family has increased over the years is because Christians have lost touch with the fundamental creator of family. Which is God. Marriage and family are ordained by God. And a covenant that God created... And it resonates in all of us. It resonates in all of us. Just like when you perform weddings. When I perform weddings, I look out and I see, I see kind of couples just leaning into one another a little bit more. As, as this reminds them of the covenant. Just like when you take communion, we take it to remember. What Christ has done as the covenant, the new covenant, we take it, we remember, we stop, it's holy, it's, it is something that we are in awe with, we, we understand. It's a moment of re- remembering the covenant of God. It's the same as family. Marriage and the forming of family is more than two people deciding to get married. For Christian marriage is under a, a Christian marriage that's under the kingship of Christ. It's important that we move from humanism. And we, and we stop thinking that our marriage is by our choice and our creation, and I choose you and you choose me, and all of that. And then we go, hey, God, can you come and bless what we kind of want you to, to bless? But truly, for a Christian marriage and family, the truth is it is Him in all things. It is Him. We live and we move and we have our being. That the marriage is created by a covenant of God. That he is present in the midst of that marriage. When it comes together under Christ, there is a covenant that is made. And that covenant is defined by God. And when God joins a man and a woman in marriage, he creates something new that did not exist before the marriage. He sets a man as the head of the home. He sets a woman underneath him and Christ is the head of the man and God is the head of Christ. It is through that flow that we, we receive the goodness and joy and the, and the powerful impact of family. May God forgive the church that we have forgotten that actually Jesus is the head of the man, and man is the head of the woman, and they create a family and covenant by God. And through that, the world can see that Jesus is the one who they need, that the world can see that the glory of Christ shines through the biblical family. But we've shied away. We don't like saying submit. And so by not liking to say that a wife should submit to their loving husband is like saying a church should not submit to their loving Savior. That somehow those are outdated and somehow they don't, they're not relevant today. Is bringing the church and the marriage underneath the dominion of rational man, which eventually will be taken over by pagan man. That's what we see today. When God joins man and woman together, he creates something brand new. When Cheryl and I got married, she was Cheryl Lewis. I was Jason King. And when we got married, she was still Cheryl and I was still Jason. We're still individuals. And after the marriage, we now become one. And God created something that didn't exist before we got married. A covenant a family. Now we're the King family. Cheryl didn't join my family. I didn't join her family. We left our families and God created a new family under his covenant. The Christian family recognizes that God created a new thing. A covenant with God created something brand new. Ephesians 5, therefore a man shall leave his father, mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church if we don't if you, again if we don't understand the covenant of a marriage we don't understand Christ and the church the understanding of marriage and family is crucial to the function and operation of a godly family and marriage and when you have children within this family, whether adopted or natural birth, a child becomes a part of what God created through covenant. That child becomes a part of that covenant, of that covenant. For our family, when we had children, they were born into the covenant, our family. They were created through marriage, through the covenant. And so when we instruct our kids, when we take them to places and we go they go out with their friends, when they go out off to college, they understood. And we say, hey, remember, you're a king. Remember, remember the covenant that God created in our family. He created a king family before you were ever alive. And God birthed you into this king family. And we follow Jesus. Remember, you're a king. Because they're a part of the family that God created. Yes, we're a part of the global family. We're part of the big C church, little C church, but also we're part of the little C covenant of marriage and the creation of a family. And that covenant comes with privileges and responsibilities. The church really does need to turn things around. And to do that, we need to recover the true vision of marriage and family that God desires to reform family is to bring the blessings to our households, and for generations to come into disciple nations through the family. It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways we do it at the same time with the other things. Bring glory to Christ, our King, through our family. And reconnect that we are a covenant. We are one. And that God wants to teach the world through us that He's King. Because... Christ is king. It's not one day he will be. Well, I can't wait till Jesus is king. No, he's king. There is no realm on this earth that doesn't belong to him. All authority's been given to him on heaven and on earth. And we say that, but do we believe it? We like it. We like him in heaven. And we go, and he has authority on earth. He will one day. He does now. And we are to respond to that reality out of submission and faith in the covenant of marriage. Lord, thank you today for your goodness and your mercy. God, and all of this, all of this information, incredible things over the last hour and a half. God, we just pray and ask you that you would let us absorb it remove all things that was that were said that was not of you and highlight the things that are that you would use us in Jesus name amen